1: At this point, uh, Blitzabay, Danielle Slayton, and Katie Witham, the first uh broadcasting group in the five men's professional sp- major sports, uh, the first all women group to uh broadcast such a game, and they were just better. It wasn't even it, it, their achievement, is historic but also they were just so much better than the average broadcast we listen to. If you, if you have to listen to Shep messing every week, don't listen to these people. They're so much better. It's, it's an offense to all of our ears that we don't get to listen to these three women do a broadcast every week. And we should all be angry and mad about it until they are doing it. At least somewhere in MLS every week.
0: So I I was at the game. I didn't get to watch or listen to this live, but um, in in looking at the replay, you know, listening to it, uh, it occurred to me they're they are very very good at their jobs, and it's yes, Ben, you are correct. It was better than most every uh, all male broadcast team out there. My
1: personal Uh, and isn't that it's better than ninety percent of. Average commentary teams out there,
0: right? And it, it reminds me that back in however long ago in baseball, uh, when when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, he became and was one of the all time greatest players. Um, and and that's because that's what you have to be to break down barriers. And the fact that that these women have. Become so good given limited opportunities to to do so is is a testament to them and uh they they earned this accomplishment and um you know mate i i would say took advantage of it and i think we'll see more of it in the future and that's a good
1: thing but if they just want to do every other dc united national broadcast from here on out please please do so
0: Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, uh, the Black and Red United, and I guess we aren't making Yeah, sure. Podcast. Uh, I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson, Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com. Tonight we are talking DC United's two-nothing win over the New England Revolution. We're also going to preview this weekend's upcoming uh trip to New Jersey to face the metros. We'll have uh, an old friend and enemy of ours on in the second segment, Jason Iapico uh, to help us preview that one. Uh, Before we do anything, we have a tradition here, Jason, what are you drinking?
2: Uh, I went with a, uh, a traditional, uh, I I would say it's a classic cocktail. Um, I went with a dark and stormy um, and I went with the traditional, uh, original dark and stormy. So it's Gosling's rum and Gosling's ginger beer. Um, I added lime. Um, I read online that apparently in Bermuda, where the drink was invented, you don't use lime. But I got to say, I think the lime is an important addition. Um, Given that ginger beer is a type of soda and rum is the sweetest of liquors, you need something Mm -hmm. to cut it. So um, with respect to the people of Bermuda, I'm going to add lime to mine. But other than that, Goslings and Goslings. uh, And uh, it was the right choice. I'm enjoying it. Maybe they should make some Goslings lime. (laughs) <laughs> Go- goslings limes yes brought to you by goslings and not by lime trees correct they can be goslings branded lime trees i don't care where they get the limes they just oh, need to be I, branded
0: goslings I was limes
2: excited about limes that goslings could create without the involvement of trees
1: or yeah i was or goslings just has a crack team of mad scientists creating uh artificial lime flavoring in their uh underground laboratories
0: whether science or magic goslings get on this uh i i got out all the fixins for Sazerac tonight looked at the clock said crap i'm late uh and just poured a glass of rye whiskey uh pinhook rye it's a very very decent very spicy rye i like it a lot um and and just poured a pretty strong glass of it and ran over to my busted couch to uh to record so that's what i'm drinking benjamin
1: so this is another installment of Ben's parents come to town, and what crappy macro brew did Ben's dad buy?
0: Someday your dad's gonna listen to this and stop giving you beer.
1: No, he won't. Uh, <laughs> usually in the past, my dad has come to town and always bought me a case of Dosakis for reasons that I don't understand. I don't know why he chose Dosakis in particular, but that's what it was. But uh, this week, this weekend, he came for my daughter's second birthday, and he went out to buy some wine and some beer, and he did not come back with Dos Equis. Instead of this time, he came back with a 12-pack uh, of bottles of his favorite macro brew, for some reason, Rolling Rock. So now it is my duty to, like, all of the other beers in our cooler were drank, all of the yingling, all of the... Uh, Devil's Backbone, all of the Modelo, all of the local craft brews, of course, but there were still seven or eight of the 12 pack of Rolling Rocks left. So now I have to drink all of those slowly over the next couple of weeks to make sure they don't go to waste.
2: I, I feel like the only times in my life that I can think about uh, or I, that I can think of drinking Rolling Rock is the instance Ben is in where somehow there is rolling rock and you've drank all the other beer um, or you're at a college party, but it's not a party that you would normally attend. And, and the people mysteriously have rolling rock instead of other uh, college beers or you're out of town somewhere that isn't necessarily like a particularly attractive place to travel, but you've gone there anyway and you end up at something and they have rolling rock. It's always, there's always an extenuating circumstance. And then you end up with some rolling rock.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: If there's there's any craft beer marketing people listening to this, number one, please sponsor us. We will drink your beer and advertise it for you. Uh, Number two, make a commercial about a, a person's dad bringing them crappy macro brews and how sad they are. And maybe there's a donation center where you can donate these crappy macro brews so that you can clear them out and make room for whatever brand of craft beer you make. See?
1: Please hire me to act in that, since it is the story, it is my life story, TM, TM, TM.
2: Uh, don't, should we steal get to Ben's, don't steal Ben's lived experience for your beer ads. Don't do it. Make him wealthy. Make us all wealthy.
0: Well, at least Ben and me, because it was my idea for the commercial. Jason, I don't know what you're contributing here.
2: I will scream out of my window every single day about your product, uh, beer companies. <laughs> I'll record my. If I have to, I'll record it. Uh, every single day, dead or dead or alive, uh, I'll scream out a window <laughs> yeah. about your product.
0: Will it be like a Wilhelm scream or like a, a,
2: no, just it'll a, be about a loud
0: product.
2: voice? Okay. Uh, it'll be about the product. Uh, probably something along the lines of such and such beer is good or something like that. Uh, it'll be different or maybe not. We'll see. I mean, in year like 50 of screaming out the window, I might run out of interest in doing an original yell. Um but we'll see. I I can't say where I'll be in my life at that point, but I'll keep yelling uh, as long as the money keeps rolling in. That is your pledge. Your solemn vow. <laughs> well, provided uh the checks roll in.
0: Right, of course. Uh let's talk soccer. DC United capped a 9-point freaking week on Sunday night. Uh Sending uh, the uh, revolution out with a, a two nothing win for the good guys. United basically kept their good momentum from the second half against Portland on Wednesday, going into this one in the first half goals from Lucho and Stevie uh, on either side of halftime. Well, pretty far on either side of halftime early in the first half, late in the second half. Um, Big story for nerds like us in this one. Um, United came out in the 4-2-3-1, which I, I don't think a lot of us expected. They they actually ran that out for all three games this week, and we expected it when they were going to be facing teams that like to counterattack, like Orlando and Portland. Did not expect it against New England, but it, it seems like it was the right choice. It was certainly fruitful, Jason.
2: Yeah, uh, it was interesting to... to see them go that route. I kind of detailed in our preview why I thought they were going to switch back. Um, I thought that with the revs being more willing to take risks and step out in high press that having that extra man, a little further forward and going back to the formation they've played most of the year, um, would be a little more beneficial, but in the end, uh, I think the performance while not, it wasn't a spectacular performance. I think it's a solid B, um, but I, I think it, it justified the choice. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with just the fact that Junior Moreno has boosted his play um, from what we saw earlier in the year. Russell Knauss has brought what we, I think, all expected from the start of the year. It was It's unfortunate that he wasn't available for a lot of that time. Um, but yeah, it, instead of it being a decision about drawing an opponent out versus um, playing around an opponent that already comes at you uh, regardless of what you do, uh, I think in the end, it just ended up being this team, this group in this formation is working right now and, and maybe don't, uh, mess with a good thing. And like I said, this wasn't a spectacular performance, but it kind of reflected that don't mess with the good thing attitude. Um, United mostly controlled out, outside of maybe the first two minutes, um, and a spell in the second half when the revs changed their formation and shifted around a lot of what they did, um. United was in control. And even when they weren't in firm control, uh, the revs, it, it was, it was sporadic threats. It wasn't like they were under siege. This wasn't like watching seasons past, even, even good seasons past, you know, 2014 through 2016, um, where when United didn't have control of a game, they would basically be clinging to uh, a, a lead by dear life. Uh, this was a lot more, you know, every once in a while New England, create a chance and DC wasn't maybe having as much of the ball, but, Um, when you're talking about degrees of how much you're being outplayed, it's not too bad to be, um, outplayed like that for a few minutes as compared to the, you know, it's 20 minutes straight of just Bill Hamid having to make 30 saves. And, um, you never get to, you forget who's even on the field for the attacking side of the ball because they never get involved. Um, this wasn't like that. So, um, I think, it was, uh, was kind of
0: closer to the opposite in some ways. It yeah. wasn't like United were generating a million shots. They only had, I think, 12 shots oh, yeah. in this game. But there was a 10-minute spell. I, I looked at the the stats page and the box score uh, on on the league website this evening. And there was a 10-minute spell in the first half after the goal was scored where United had, in both five-minute chunks, 86.7% or something like that possession for for. 10 minutes in a row. That's insane in MLS.
2: And now, not only is it um, an extremely high level for this league. Um, I think it was also very important in the context of three games in a week. Um, yeah. Olsen talked about midweek. He didn't rotate very much. And it was mostly due to the fact that they Orlando didn't have much of the ball. So United didn't have to do a ton of running in that game. And that contributed to them not having to rotate. And then Portland, you know, it was kind of the same scenario Portland didn't cause United to run very much. And so again, Olsen didn't really have to rotate. I didn't he didn't rotate at all. Um and this is why this is why a possession style of play is attractive from a practical perspective. I mean, we like to watch it. Um, but when you're on when you're in a coaching uh, perspective, one of the one of the positives of it is you can tire your opponent out, and so United took the lead, and then they made the Revs chase the ball for a long time. And I they think they
1: should have had two more goals in that in that span.
2: Right, and you know, on another night, maybe they do. Um, they they were close a few times. Maybe they should have done a little better on a couple others. But um, I think the main thing, as far as a process perspective, because you you finishing is a hard thing to predict when it's going to work and when it's not going to work. Um, but if you make your your visiting opponent when they're down a goal, if you then make them just chase ghosts for a while, that's awfully demoralizing for them, and it's very easy on the legs uh, comparatively for you. So, Yeah, um, we've been on the other side of that a lot. A lot. Um, um. Ben, earlier this week, um, Olsen said uh, that it used to be very difficult, very challenging physically to play for DC United because they had to chase everything. It was always... Grind it out. It was always do all this defensive running, um, and now they're skilled enough where they don't have to. So uh, instead, they keep the ball. It's it's funner for us as fans, but it also makes uh, makes it easier for olsen to keep his best players on the field. It also makes it easier for um, this team to put on a bit of a show. So all around, I think um, we're probably going to see four two three one for a little while. Uh, I don't really have any complaints at this point. I mean, after three wins like that, I don't think you can. Um, yeah I, th- I think it's it's showed its utility um in mostly down to uh as much as there are other stars that are getting more credit i think it comes down to the play of canals and moreno at the heart of the midfield
0: yeah they're they're both doing a good job that obviously gives lucho some more freedom to play higher up to to fan out to either sideline, which he's spending a lot of time on the right. And so is Rooney for that matter when United are in possession, but it it certainly frees those two up. Uh, Paul Ariola and, and had a comment, I think in Ian Quillen's piece today about uh, the defensive work that Rooney and Lucho are doing as well. And I think that's interesting um, that the four, two, three, one clarifies what Lucho's role defensively is rather than kind of pressing when Areola would drop back or whoever was the number eight would drop back or having to coordinate their movements. Lucho now has a little bit more freedom. He only has to coordinate with Rooney and the, their job is to basically control the the other team's defensive midfield space and not let them play through the middle, not let them start movements through the middle, force it outside. And that's where United is targeting. Um, it was, it was maybe more than Ben Olsen wish would wish Ariola would have said, but uh, it, it certainly clarifies things for us fans trying to get a grasp of what the team is trying to do. And I thought that was really interesting, especially knowing uh, what a good front foot defender Assad is. And if you're focusing the other team into trying to force them into that space that he covers or into the space Paul Ariola covers now that he's back on the wing, at least for now uh, I, I think that was really interesting and it kind of makes all the pieces fit really well together. Everybody has a role that makes really good sense given their skill sets.
1: Yeah, I think it also uh, plays into uh, keeping the team fresh and not wearing themselves out. I feel like in previous uh, years and previous games this season, the press was Lucho Acosta and Paul Ariel running their butts off, trying to chase down uh, passing lanes and tr- chase down the ball. In this new system, with two defensive midfielders and Wayne Rooney, they don't have to like just run their butts off as much anymore. They can do selective pressure and smart pressure, and it's still getting the uh, necessary effect. And then when Emil Asad or Lucho Acosta or Paul Ariola even Wayne Rooney sometimes see an opening they put on a burst of speed and then either make that uh, sometimes make a turnover happen or uh, uh, put additional pressure on the defense or just change it up. But they're not just always running around and uh, tiring themselves out with with that uh, with those two defensive midfielders behind them and Wayne Rooney's presence uh, sucking up a lot of space they're able to be a lot more selective and a lot more precise with the amount of uh, pressure that they're putting on opposing defenses.
2: Uh, I'll just add while, while Adam was saying um, his part, I, I looked at the chalkboard on the league website, which uh, we refer to a lot and uh, it's a useful tool to, to play around with. And one of the things that you can kind of tell that kind of show this um, attempt to funnel play towards um Assad or either, either wing, but especially Assad in this game. Um, if you just if you open up uh, defensive actions um, and then you just go with Acosta and Rooney, you can see there's a they're much more heavy on the left half of the or the left third if you divided the field into three vertical columns. That left third where Assad is, um, it there's a lot of defensive actions from Rooney and Acosta, and it's a signal that they're drifting over there. They're trying to get near Acosta and make that their group of three that hunts the ball, um, which is, you know, it's, it's much easier to force turnovers when you're in three, because even if you can't put in a tackle um, or intercept a pass, just by crowding a player, you're increasing the chance of them putting the ball out of bounds or um, making a pass to somebody else that gives that player no real chance to do anything with the ball. Um, you sort of set the dominoes up to fall uh in your favor in in this case so um yeah i I think that kind of bears out what uh areola was talking about um as far as a an an intentional strategy one of the reasons teams like to press you out to the touchline is that the touchline becomes kind of a fourth player for your your cause um because even if the you know even if the guy you're pressing manages to knock the ball off of you for a throw-in do you i mean when you're in possession of the ball do you really want that possession to end with a throw in 70 yards from goal in your own half no um and so you break up the other team's rhythm and and even that you know it seems like it's not a big deal but if you if another team's trying to knock the ball around and keep it and you just keep throwing them off their rhythm a little bit it's awfully frustrating um anyone that's played a bunch of soccer knows has probably been through that where the other team is just able to throw you off your game just a little bit and it's just frustrating as hell so um for dc to be frustrating as hell like, especially against the revs who love to be the more irritating team to play against as ben Olson said they came to pick a fight and that's that's new england revolution soccer in 2018 um and yet they ended up being the team that was more irritated with how the game was going so um that's a hallmark that what what the team is trying to do right now is working uh broadly speaking it's it's been effective and it's causing opposing teams real problems
0: they're doing it without you know drawing a million cards or or in the case of scaldwell scott caldwell two in a game uh they're doing it without getting super chippy or um Overly physical, I would say, too, which is how New England wants to yeah. get in your head. They want to get in your head via your ankles and your knees and and sometimes your jawbone. Whereas yeah. DC United is just going straight for, you know, setting up shop they in your ball. brain.
2: They're, they're not yeah. they're not interested necessarily in committing all the extra fouls. I think there was a play which that is, kind of, again,
0: a change from D.C. United, who in years past have been very physical.
2: Yeah. Um, and there's a play that kind of summed up that positive evolution for United early in the game. Um, Lucho was about to receive the ball. He turned his back to the midfield and Luis Caicedo came across and just hit him in the back with a shoulder. Um, I don't know how it was at midfield. So even if um, Ted uncle didn't catch it, even if the ARs didn't catch it, the fourth official should have seen it and no one saw it. I have no idea how they missed it. Um, And then Caicedo after the contact, kept going and then fell over and acted like he had been struck or retaliated against. Um, And it was a classic example, maybe, maybe one of the clearest examples of an opponent keying on Luciano Acosta to try and get him angry and get him into trouble with the referee to get him to not pay attention to the, you know, the basics of his job, which are not to retaliate. Um, And, in years past lucho would have been really upset it would have clearly set him off for the next few minutes but in this case he did get a foul called against him but the whole time he just looked like what 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 have i done like what did i do but he didn't let that he didn't let the bad call get upset uh, get him upset he didn't let caisedo taking a run at him get him upset um and after the game uh that was one of the questions that was asked you know how are you uh dealing with the fact that Teams try and provoke you. They try and foul you. They try and get in your head. And he said, you know, look, when you get a lot of the ball, um, as and he made sure to mention that Wayne Rooney also gets a lot of the ball. And he said, When you get a lot of the ball like like Wayne and I do, you tend to get kicked in this league and in most other leagues. And and um you have to look at it from a good perspective. You have to think, uh, the the other guys on my team are going to have more space because I'm drawing all this attention, and maybe I get kicked but then maybe we get a free kick and something can come out of that. So um, instead of, you know, focusing on the fact that new England was just trying to kick anything that wore a black shirt, he's instead thinking like, well, if they're going to commit a bunch of fouls, then we're probably going to get a bunch of uh, set pieces. And, and if they're always after me, I just have to dish the ball to somebody else and they're going to be open. So that's cool. Um, So he's not even worried about it, um, which is not the Lucho of the past. Um, And that's another promising uh, development with this team is that uh, they're prepared for the mind game side of this much more than they used to be.
0: Ben Olson hailed Lucho's maturity um, in his post game comments, which good to see he's, he's praising his players for the things that they're, they're seeing in themselves. It's, it's amazing kind of the, the mental and attitude change in this team over the last few weeks. Um, I don't want to credit it all to Rooney, obviously, but I, I'm sure Rooney's influence in that locker room has has helped this. Back to the four-two-three-one, another place where that that double pivot provides a little bit more structure, a little bit more security, and the the ramifications of that are are at the fullback position, where O'Neill Fisher has all of a sudden looked like Marcelo or Danny Alves. And I'm not the first person to name either of those players in his style of play. He's obviously, you know, an MLS version of that, but stylistically uh, setting up shop in the other teams half, not just pumping in crosses. He, he had one cross in this game. Uh, United as a team only had 11. I'm delighted by that because crossing is generally not actually a very good strategy in the modern game. And he's out there to recycle possession and regain possession and to combine when it helps the team. And he's just doing really good work out there, Ben.
1: Yeah. uh, No one has benefited from the four, two, three, one more than O'Neill Fisher and Russell Canals. O'Neill Fisher and Joseph Mora uh, benefiting from Russell Canals and Junior Moreno. Because in a four-one-four-one where they had to do a lot of defending, defending is not their strongest suit. But in a four-two-three-one where especially Junior Moreno is dropping deep to help defend, and Russell Canals is too, but he's also jumping forward, uh, they have a little more freedom to bomb forward. And uh, like Adam said, O'Neal Fisher is basically operating as a auxiliary winger alongside uh, uh, Paul Areola, who's tucking a little more inside sometimes. Uh, But he was up in the attack all the time, uh, putting in a couple of good crosses. I think there was more than one. I thought there was two or three that he put in, uh, even if the stats didn't bear that out. That's what I saw on the television. But regardless, he was up there. He was just being an outlet to make sure that possession just didn't get crossed away into nothingness. And, and if if there wasn't a cross on, uh, Paul Ariola or Lucho Acasa or Wayne Rooney could just give it to O'Neal Fisher and then they could pass it back to Russell Knauss and then pass it over to Neil Assad or Joseph Moore and just keep things moving and moving and keep the pressure on instead of just aiming a worthless cross into nobody. So this this change to the 4231 has had effects all over the field and it has made Fisher and Mora uh, look like look even better uh, and look like they belong on this team uh, within this formation
2: and you know I, I i i kind of beat myself up a little bit i wanted to ask um Ben Olsen in the press conference about Fisher specifically because i think he's been maybe the most improved player in this last week as compared to the rest of the season, Um, which is saying something because a lot of guys are playing better than they had been in the past. But um, unfortunately, you know, we, after that, we head to the locker room. I wanted to then catch um, the man himself and, and ask him if, if you know how things were going, but uh, apparently O'Neill Fisher showers and changes and gets into the, um, room where they've got their post-game meal set up very quickly, maybe faster than even than you would think um, because he was already in there when I got in and I was like, well, you know, cause once they're, once they're beyond that, it's kind of like your time to interview is, has disappeared. They're kind of done. So I didn't get a chance uh, to talk to him. I am going to give it a shot at the next game, but um, something's, something's happened with him. Um, whether it's just plain old confidence um, I think that is part of it. I, I think even beyond the formation change, I think he's just mentally really feeling it, um, winning these games, you know, maybe the, the team's record beforehand was weighing on him more than others. Um, you know, we've only got half a season with him. We don't really, I, I don't know that we have a good feel for O'Neal Fisher, the personality quite yet. Um, as far as how a losing run might affect him compared to some other guys. Um, but w- whatever it is, and I, I'm sure that the formation switch is some of that, the fact that um, when he comes forward, he's got a closer option because with two defensive midfielders, you've got someone that's necessarily going to be right of center. And so now instead of having a maybe a 30-yard pass to complete to a lone defensive midfielder, you've got someone that's maybe 10 yards closer. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it ends up making a big difference. Um, a lot of times, it, especially when you're trying to possess quite a bit, Um, maybe there's something different there with the fact that Paul Areola is tucking inside and giving him a little more, uh, space to run on the touchline. Maybe he's a little more comfortable with that look than some of the other looks that United has played this year. Um, but whatever it is, uh, I, I hope that it's not a short burst of form that it keeps going because, you know, if, if O'Neill Fisher plays like this going forward, United doesn't necessarily have to worry about right back. Um, If he can uh, establish in, in this autumn that this is a normal level for him from now on, um, then maybe that's one thing off the list that or at least moves down the list quite a bit. Um, Whereas when we came out of the transfer window, we were still talking about both fullback positions. Um, Even with Vitas coming in, it was still like, you know, I'm not convinced by this, this fullback situation on either side. Um, But you know, that's a it's all theoretical for for Fisher right now. It has to be um, something that continues and he's going to get a stern test in these next few games because the next four games are against very difficult opponents. If he can keep up at that level, um, then you start to get a little more convinced that this is a maybe maybe a permanent shift for him in terms of stepping his level up rather than just a one week uh, burst of good form.
0: Of everyone on the team, I, I don't think O'Neal Fisher is the one we were expecting to say. He's like a new signing, but he he's like a new signing the way he's played since the close of the transfer window. Um and I like Jason said, I hope he he keeps it up as well. Uh let's talk about some of the the other more general play on the field. Uh the first goal in this one, 13th minute, Lucho Acosta, uh takes a free kick it was after a yellow card so it's weird that it felt like a quickly retaken um restart but it, it basically was the defense wasn't set um united players were still just standing around the ball as ted uncle took i think uh juan agudelo's name in the book this this play could have been a red card but uh, again lucho's not letting those decisions bother him uh takes it sends the ball all the way across the field to Paul Areola in acres and acres of space he gets the end line beats a defender sends uh I, I don't know if this even counts as a cross it was a, a low pass across the face of goal Lucho very late arriving well beyond the the back post puts it in first time uh with with his left foot and my question is was this drawn up in advance because watching it live, it felt like it was drawn up in advance. The way that Areola was already ready, all the way out on the opposite touch line. The way he sent in that pass almost blind, um, trusting that that Acosta would get there. It 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 felt a little bit um, maybe not rehearsed, but it felt planned in in a good way. I thought, and I'm curious whether you guys got that impression and whether you think it there there could be more. Uh, kind of training ground type plays coming
2: for, uh, for me. I, I don't think it was rehearsed. Um, I think the fact that uh, that the play was over such a long distance is an indicator that it. I, I can't imagine them spending time in training, um, assuming that a team would would drop their heads on a free kicks to that to that extent. Um, but I, I think it speaks to the growing connection that people are starting to develop. Um, it's one of the beautiful things in soccer is when um, teammates start to know each other's intentions before the run is made, before there's a gesture to point near, you know, pass in this direction, give me the ball to space, um, things like that. This might've come down to a simple Acosta looks across the, you know, he scans across the group and uh, Ariola is making maybe the big eyes, you know, he's got his eyebrows up and he's like looking like, look at all this room I've got, just swing the ball over here and I'll take care of it. Um it could have come down to something as simple as that um but uh you know once you get Ariola one on one with um uh, Brandon Bai who is playing his third professional game as a left back as far as i know um that's that's a pretty good scenario and everything else after that i think is down to um Ariola wins his battle one on one the revs kind of scramble back into position but um if you watch the replay as i was doing while adam was discussing his side of it Um, I hit pause right before Ariola hits his cross and you see that they've scrambled back, but none of them picked up Rooney, um, who is Wayne Rooney. Uh, and then, uh, Lucho is streaking in at the back post. And I think Lucho let, I think he might've let the defense kind of scramble in first and and then been like, well, I'm going to give them half a second to lose me because they're so worried about getting into position in the box. Um, so I'm going to let them forget that I'm even here. And then I'm going to make my run after that. Um, and the only person that tries to get there in time, I think, is Agudello. I think Agudello actually saw Lucho making his run and just didn't have a chance to catch up. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that it was rehearsed as much as it was just a growing link-up, a, a growing connection between the group that is very promising for this team going forward.
0: Whatever the case, it was a nice goal. I'm, I'm sorry to take away
2: the possible no, hope of... Um,
0: no i i don't think it was rehearsed i don't think it it, it even if it was something that they had planned in advance mm. uh to keep an eye open for it i don't think it's something they spent time on the training ground mm. necessarily doing just is like ariel is like hey if there's a quick free kick i'm gonna ghost and you guys look for me and then i will look for you on the back post or something like that just even if they're just talking it out um in the film room or, or wherever else I, it, this struck me as something that could have been like more than just in the moment. If it was in the moment, that kind of makes it better in some ways because wow. But it, it was enough that, that I, I turned my head a little bit. It's like, that was really well orchestrated. I wonder if it was more than just the, the chaos of the moment.
1: Just believe in the greatness of our players, Adam.
0: That's a fair point. That's a fair point.
2: Uh- I'll just throw in briefly that I'm glad to see Lucho seeing more of the field. Um, We've talked about it in the past where I've said that he maybe plays with the blinders on a little bit. Um, But lately, especially it seems like he's just seeing, you know, maybe he doesn't have Marco Etcheverry vision, but he definitely is seeing a lot more of the field and giving himself more options. And um, that's part of why he's playing so well is just that he's seeing so many more options and it opens up all of his, his bag of tricks and all of a sudden the game gets so much easier for him. And uh, it's been, it's been pretty spectacular to see because we all know he's fun to watch. Um, But now that's coming with a side of um, just being extremely effective. I mean, he ended this three game homestand with four goals and an assist. That's something special. He's got a point of some kind, either a goal or assist in each of the last five games. Um, That's what we want to see at Lucho.
0: One last point to talk about before we uh, bring in Jason Iapico to talk about the Red Bulls. Uh, Orlando City are a bad team. (laughs) Portland were. Yeah. Portland (laughs) Timbers uh, are suddenly doing a very good impression of a bad team, but we're also coming cross country on short rest when we beat them. The Revs are uh, reeling team right now i I wouldn't put them in the orlando city category but they haven't won in seven games um these nine points I, I understand the impulse some may feel to put a little bit of an asterisk on them because of the circumstances of each game you can only play the team that's across from you but i'm curious whether you guys think this is uh Real number one, and if this is st- sustainable, I think we all think this is real the the fundamentals are there um, but is this kind of form something that United can sustain through the rest of the the run in
3: well
1: let, let, let's go back to the first part because I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't uh easily accept what you just uh, uh what, what you just said it, it is real because this is not a streak that united teams of the past five years could have done like maybe the 2012 team could have done a uh, uh, nine points in eight days, but I can't imagine many other DC United teams of a recent vintage being able to do that. So let's just go back and say that this is a real thing that this DC United team did. And it was, it is this DC United team that was able to do that and not any other, uh, for sustainability. Um, I think they can I, I don't know. I'd, I think they can if they can do it against the teams that aren't in the playoffs or are right at their level right now, that gets them to around 45ish points if the math I saw on Twitter is correct.
2: <laughs>
0: and
1: so they only like against teams that are currently above them in the playoffs, they only have to get they only have to get a couple of games especially ones on the road, to just seal up the playoffs. So if they take care of teams that are Philadelphia, Union, and worse, they can still do this. So I think that is that could be sustainable, even though it's a weird schedule, it's a lot of games. I think they may be able to do it.
0: Well, when I say sustainable, I don't even necessarily mean qualifying for the playoffs. Uh, although I think that would be a consequence of this, of sustaining this kind of form. I want to know if they can do it against the, the Red Bulls, the Atlantas, the NYCFCs, uh, the, the Dallas the Seattle's and the so way Philly's playing right now against them.
2: Up. Um, yeah, I know we'll, we'll get Philly's to test upcoming, this. So um, yeah. we get an immediate test of, of the possibility. Um, I certainly don't think this is going to resemble the previous games against those teams where um, if you recall Philadelphia only, only beat DC three, two, but in reality it should have been three, nothing. The Red Bulls, I think um, caused DC a lot of trouble and beat DC um, though, not as convincingly as maybe instances in the past. Um, They kind of caught DC on, on a bad start to the game and then, kind of wrote it out from there until Rooney came in. And again, DC didn't play well, but could have stolen something from that one Um, down in Atlanta. uh, Both, both visits to Atlanta haven't gone that well this year. One went worse than the other, but um, it's not like had exactly the same score. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not like the recent game was a pleasure that they just happened to be on the wrong side of it was like, man, this isn't going all that well. Um, So yeah, they're going to get, thrown into the deep end coming up because um, these might be in terms of four games straight, this might be the hardest four game stretch uh, for DC left on the schedule. Um, I Maybe I'm not thinking of travel and whatnot, but just in, in terms of quality of opponent uh, four games in a row like this, it doesn't get more difficult. So um, well, there's not a lot of travel to consider the rest of true. United's schedule. True. Uh, their longest trip is what? Uh, at Chicago. Chicago yeah the at last the end of the season, there's not even a uh, game
0: after that, unless right. we make the playoffs
2: um but uh yeah i I think we're going to see that this team is significantly better um than they have been in the past. I think they've found something that's not just based on confidence and not just based on um good vibes but is actually based on concrete positive uh processes and choices from players and from the coaching staff and all that stuff. Um, The, the positive side of, you know, the, the good vibes side of it certainly helps um, to some degree, but that's, that's something you can't control. Um, What I am hoping for is that, because we're not going to see this team win every single game for the rest of the season. Um, What I'm hoping for is that when they, (laughs) Yeah, and I player. was the one. I, I was fair. the
0: sourpuss, and now you're you're going there saying United's not going to run the table. Come on.
2: Um, what is it? Uh, Seventeen games left, or or uh, sixteen? So thirteen. It, uh, thirteen. Thirteen. Okay, so they'd have they have to go on a sixteen game winning streak, not just yes. undefeated, but winning. Um, yeah. So they'd win the supporter shield is what you guys are talking about. Uh, <laughs> I don't think they
1: win the supporter shield. Don't be ridiculous, Jason.
2: Well, you're you're We're not with that attitude, ben. Sixteen in a row. <laughs> but uh, yeah the 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 idea that I, I'm I'm hoping for is that even when a draw at home or a loss in one of these remaining road games happens, I want to see this the process still be good. I want to see um the 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 idea behind what they're trying to do underlined as a good idea because plenty of times you you do the right stuff and you still lose a game um but i in the past dc has done what they can but they haven't really been good enough to do the right stuff to lose on good terms they lose and it would be like that sucked um what i would like to see is more like well they lost but i mean the performance is pretty decent that's what i want to see if they're going to lose any games um and that's the real test i think because if they set that kind of baseline um in games that don't work out then that means that more often than not they're go- it's going to work out. If your process is good in this sport, as much as it can be frustrating and cruel, um if the process is good, you just you end up giving yourself a better chance to win every game and that's what they've done this week. Um and now they have to take it to the next level because that's what's coming up is is this, you know, extremely tough chunk of the schedule. If they can come through this uh these next few games with uh you know two or three wins in those four and and one loss or fewer then i think we're looking at a team that has really has some proof uh of their uh hypothesis at this point is uh, i guess the way i want to put it so hopefully um but we we don't know we don't have a good unqualified success against a one of these you know better teams we've got orlando's bad uh, the revs have been bad lately and Portland on short rest was bad. So, um, we've got games with an asterisk and we need, um, the kind of game, uh, we need the same kind of performance against a team that doesn't have any asterisks next to their, their issues.
0: Well, one thing that's, that's nice is United doesn't have a quick turnaround. The game's not till Sunday. They have a full week of rest, um, which is good. It also means our listeners have more time to listen to this episode. Unlike the last couple, which they also so had
2: two days off of uh, training,
0: there's which no, was no training well
2: Monday and Tuesday, so they're going to get some time to just uh, you know unwind a little bit and and uh, recover. So that's a, a big plus.
0: Absolutely. Um, we're going to take just a minute here to unwind and recover, and we'll be right back with uh, to, with a preview of united's trip up to new jersey stick around it's filibuster hey ben um you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment would you you can tell Uh, me
1: depends i mean well i should ask you i mean is our goats hostile
0: D.C. United, like we said at the end of the last segment, will get a, a, a chance to test this newfound form on the road even this weekend with the Atlantic Cup on the line to boot. They will head to Harrison, New Jersey for a seven o'clock date with the metros on Fox Sports. One, our old frenemy, Jason Iapico, he'll tell you he's the good Jason. He's lying. Don't believe him. He's here,
3: though, uh, to help us preview this game. Jason, welcome back to the show. Thank you, and of course I am the good one, and I'm, I am the good one because, you know, I'm not living in D.C. Sorry, I had to, say, I had to throw that out there.
1: Our Jason we, hasn't lived in D.C. We either. both
0: live in Maryland. Yeah, I was gonna say both of you, Jason's living <laughs> yeah, Maryland. He, but, There's but, a decent chance you're the
3: same person. I mean, I guess if you go by the state, but I mean, come on, Wait, we're not Del- Maryland is not Delaware. We're not that small. If. I have a cleanly
2: shaven chin. I'm not wearing the goatee that signifies evil. Uh, uh, I am. I do
3: have a beard right now. so There it is.
1: <laughs> I'm also fine with just saying that all of Maryland is evil.
3: Ben uh, not, not, I'm not all of Maryland, but I, I get the point. Ben, so see, this is Jason. another sign. Yeah, go ahead. Evil Jason, <laughs> what are you drinking? Uh, Because I couldn't find something really fitting I pulled out a Guinness Extra Stout the headline around. Okay. Classic.
1: Because yeah. because there's a new uh, Guinness
3: brewery in your state? There actually there is, but unfortunately they're not well, I mean it makes sense I'm not going to brew the stout there because that's, you know, the beer for Guinness, they're not going to brew it outside of their I uh, what is it? The Iron Gate facility in Dublin. So I mean, you get the, some- I, supposedly the brewery in, in Baltimore is supposed to be really nice and they're going to be a, more of a test test brewery than anything else.
0: I think they're doing some partnerships with some of the local breweries as well, which will be hopefully fun and good. Yeah, hopefully. So uh, first meeting between DC United and the Red Bulls uh, certainly didn't go the way United wanted. It's the one blemish uh, on Audi fields, or on DC United's record in Audi field right now. Uh, it came just days after Chris Armas took the reins of the Red Bulls. No one was quite sure what changes he was going to to bring about about a month into the Armas era. What what can you tell us?
3: Uh, New boss, same as the old. I mean, that's kind of how it looks that way. Um, There's some minor changes. There's talk of Armas wanting to be, more possession-based than Jesse Marsh's. Uh So far, we haven't really seen it, but I think that's because, you know, the high-pressure playing style that Marsh has brought in is kind of too ingrained at this point. That Armis, like, as much as he's a new coach and wants to put his mark on the team, you, you can't put your mark in that quickly. I mean, we've been under Chris Armis for about a month and a half now, and it's still pretty much the same Red Bulls team that you would have seen in the last few years. So uh,
0: this game coming up on Sunday, I, I looked at the Red Bulls schedule and it looked like this is the, the third will be the third game in essentially uh of, of five games in two weeks for the Red Bulls. It, it, DC United fans are, are used this year to having some crazy fixture congestion. Um, it's weird being the team coming in with fresher legs like United will be on Sunday. Does that change Armis's approach at all, especially considering the game immediately before uh, this one is, is a Hudson river Derby game.
3: Uh, Maybe a little bit. I See, this is the thing I, we never, we haven't seen Chris Armis really have to worry about schedule congestion since he's taken over. Like, Granted, you know, the one time we played DC was a midweek game, but I think at that point, uh, and I'm not, and I say this with no offense to DC, but I feel like at that point they weren't as concerned with DC as they are now. Well, I mean, you know, because you guys had just started playing at Addy Field, so you're still really dealing with the road fatigue at that point. Um, I, I feel like, Armis is going to put more pressure on the NYC game, and the reason I say that is kind of twofold. One, obviously the fans are going to want that. Even though DC is still considered a rival, I feel like most of the fan base is starting to veer towards New York City as a major fixture, if not like a, a 1B to DC United at this point. And two, Chris Armis's first game was against DC, and it was arguably the worst performance of the year for the, for the Red Bulls. So I feel like for him, this is going to be, if he can, this is going to be him wanting to prove that he can lead this team, especially now, given the fact that we are tied on points, or, or maybe one point ahead. I can't remember what, but we're basically we're, we're neck and neck with New York City. Um, I don't think Atlanta's is playing this weekend or this midweek, so that means it's a game in hand. So, effectively, we can one create some separation between us and New York City for the number two spot, and two, maybe even take over uh, first place in the Shield race because we would have a tiebreaker over them. Uh, so, we'd be even though tied on points at 51, we would still technically hold the lead. So, I feel like there's gonna be a lot of pressure on Armist to focus on the New York City match more than the DC match. So, we may see some players getting rested on Sunday, but I don't think. For the most part, though, the style of play is not going to be different. It's just a matter of who's on the field.
0: Right. That makes some sense. I'm I'm curious what's going to happen with this NYCFC game, though. Uh, it, it's a little bit of a tough draw coming back from Vancouver and being on short rest. We saw how Portland performed in D.C. with the, a similar cross-country short rest kind of setup. And it worked very well for D.C. United on that night. Uh, and I, I don't know how much... That had to do with Portland's performance versus their just run of bad form that they find themselves in, but uh, i I'm curious to see how the Red Bulls react to that kind of travel.
3: yeah, I'm not sure I guess the one the one kind of bright side was uh, and i I can't pronounce this last name for certain reason, but Riza um he didn't travel the team to Vancouver. he was left behind in New Jersey. Uh, there was no real explanation. It, it didn't seem like there was any real injury. I guess is either something very precautionary or there was some like visa issue where if he left the country kind of thing, he wasn't going to be allowed back in. Uh, so having him basically not play at all, I think, will be a big boost because he's become a very important part of the midfield now uh, ever since the game against New England a month ago where he was... Sorry, Columbus, where he basically brought us back uh, by him almost by himself, brought us back to just draw a game at home. So I, I think with Riza having missed a game, and you know this being an important thing, I think we're going to go pretty much all out against NYC, and maybe maybe. DC will see players like Derek Etienne Jr., more like Alex McWheel type, and maybe, I kind of hope for this is Ben Mines, because he was great at the beginning of the year, but for some reason, Marsh didn't want to keep him after Champions League was over. So maybe Ben Mines is the kind of player that makes a return against DC. I don't know. I, I, it's funny, I'm actually excited to, to for something, now that I'm talking about it, the idea of seeing young players come up to play DC United feels like a very fun idea to me. <laughs>
0: Well, well, the Red Bulls Academy has been cited uh, by DC United brass, begrudgingly or otherwise, as as a model for future development down here. So, it it would certainly be fitting.
3: I, I mean, th- this is going to sound like bragging, and I guess to a degree it is. But I mean, <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious that the Red Bulls are at least doing something right. They're turning out. Players that are getting interest in Europe, they turn out players that are getting interest on the national team. Uh, in 2016, they basically dominated the USL uh, with nothing but play, almost nothing but players from their academy. So, on some level, the Rebels are doing something right to find and develop players in the New York area. And honestly, it's about time that that's happening. So, I'm I'm glad that's finally we're finally starting to see prolonged fruits of that labor.
2: Uh, Jason, I, I know down here we had maybe some anxiety over the transfer window, despite adding Rooney. Um, there were still some, you know, pretty reasonable positions that maybe they didn't do enough. Um, when I look at the Red Bulls, I'm, you know, looking over their recent games. They they have Andreas Yvonne and uh, Christian Caceres um, as, as guys that haven't played a lot. I know Yvonne is new. I'm not even actually sure if Casarius was a transfer window guy or not, but um, how do you feel about the Red Bulls approach to this summer window?
3: Honestly, um, a, lo- a lot of, or a decent amount of Red Bull fans are sort of upset that, you know, and this has been, this has been a thing for the last few years, but we never go out and sign, like, a big player. Like, the rebels are apparently past the the idea of signing a player like Thierry Henry or Wayne Rooney or somebody with big name value, um, and I, that's why we got a guy like Haku who, uh, while he was a big name in his country, is not wasn't a big name, in, you know, in the general world of soccer. So, I kind of taking the wait and see approach because. Honestly, I don't know enough about those two players to make a judgment on whether they're good or not, and they haven't made an appearance yet, so I can't say whether or not they're going to work out. The big—I mean, the big thing with summer summer signings—we've uh, seen it with the Red Bulls with Thierry Henry. We've seen it with Tim Cahill. I'm sure you guys have seen it with other players. Is you bring a player in mid-season in MLS, it's very—it's almost impossible for them to have a pro a Uh, extended impact in their first half season. Uh, Wayne Rooney seems to be an exception right now, but I say he seems to be because he's only played, what, like a month or two, realistically? Yeah. So, you know, he still has the rest of, well, like a good two and a half months plus maybe playoffs if you guys make it to to prove that he can consistently play in MLS. And honestly, I wouldn't even be surprised if he fell off and had a great year next year because – that just seems to be a thing, right? Thierry Henry's first year, our first half season with the Red Bulls wasn't that great, and then, like, it took him five weeks in the, the second year to to kick it in. Uh, the players we've we've signed, uh, if they fill the need and they do it well, great. But until I see them playing on the field, I'm not going to hold judgment. Uh, I I do wish they had signed not not necessarily a player on the level of Henry and Rooney, but somebody with a little bit more uh, experience and uh, which I know is hard to do in MLS but if they could have found somebody with a little more experience that would have been great because I feel like as much as we've been doing well if we had like that one more piece especially on like a wing uh, because we're kind of going back and forth between Rizza and Moil at this point if we can find like that one more person that would just solidify a wing position I feel like we would just be that much more consistent
2: um, lately I mean the Red Bulls are in really good form um, big surprise for a team that's in the supporter shield race but five one and one in the last seven um, but something that's curious to me is that I'm noticing that they've given up some goals we're not used to a team uh, a Red Bulls team being uh, a team that gives up very many goals at all and yet they gave up two against Kansas City uh, they gave up three uh, against Columbus at home um, to this past weekend to um, uh, Kendall Austin and the team that he's stuck playing for. Um, is that is that just sort of a coincidence, or is that maybe a, a trend going going on right
3: now? I I want to say a little both, but I know it's not really an answer. Um, the The Columbus game was aberration because one of those three goals we gave up was an own goal right mm-hmm. and so it's not it's not like it's like the defense got beat um the the one the one goal in columbus was really bad cuz our guys had a, such a high line and just got terribly beat on a long ball um, the vancouver stuff is kind of out of character cuz those were set piece goals they weren't really in the run of play uh, there was a stat that msg had um during the Vancouver game. And it was that in five of the, the previous 10 before preceding Saturday that the Red Bulls had pitched shutouts. And so, I mean, they're kind of hot and defense is hot and cold. I feel like the way the defense plays they will tell you how the Red Bulls will do because I believe it's something like 13 games this year that we've been in that have been one goal games. I mean, I think we've won most of them, but the fact, you know, nobody, no team wants to be in that many one goal games, right? Like, there's just mm-hmm. whether either side you're on, that's just too much pressure to deal with. Um, so if you have, if you see the defense doing doing well, and I think especially when with DC, um, if they can shut down like a guy like Acosta, which I know he's kind of like the scorer for you right now. Um, if they can cut even shut down like the servers to him. I think that will be kind of your answer on if, or at least for that game, how the, how the defense is doing. Cause without that, then everything else is going to fall apart.
2: Uh I guess my final question, I'll, you know, every, as much as Bradley Wright Phillips uh, gets a ton of attention uh, because I guess he's found the fountain of youth uh in reality. Um, much to Ponce de Leon's chagrin, um, I'll talk about someone a little bit younger. Um, Tyler Adams is getting a ton of national team attention for obvious reasons when you watch him play. Um, do you think that he can sustain? Uh, you know, it seems when I watch the Red Bulls that he's sort of carrying that midfield in terms of their de- the, the defensive side of the game. Um, are you worried that they're maybe a little over reliant on him? It's mean, not the knock. Sean Davis, but it seems a lot of times like it's Adams uh, doing way more than his fair share.
3: So It's kind of funny because two weeks ago we played, or three weeks whenever we go, we played Chicago and uh, for some reason, some Red Bulls fans decided to use that game because Adams played really well in that game. So they decided to point to that performance and say, this is why we got rid of Dax McCarty two years ago. The thing was, two years ago, uh, Tyler Adams wasn't even a sniff at a starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years ago, the plan was for, was they let Dax McCarty go because they needed to make room for Sean Davis. And then Sean Davis was playing like, was not playing at all what he did in his short, short span in 2016. So Adams got a call up and he played well. So that's so when this year came around, they were like, "Okay, Felipe, you got to go because you're occupying the spot that Adams needs to be in now." So that's why they got rid of Felipe was to give the space to Adams. And uh, a- Adams has had his moments this year where you can tell he's still a little green around the edges. Um, there, I think there was like a back pass to Aaron Long that was not weighted correctly it was like it was hit too short and long got caught in no man's land and they end up getting beat on a on a quick counter-attack almost uh, over relying on him i i can see why people would say that i don't necessarily think that's the case though because you got uh aaron long and tim parker pretty much right behind him and those guys uh especially Long. This is the weird thing. So Long is not known for speed. If you watch him, he can close down uh, when chasing really well. I don't know if he just knows how to get the right angle or it has some hidden speed nobody ever really noticed before. Mm -hmm. But uh, those two guys behind Adams take a lot of pressure off of him and allow him a little bit more freedom when it comes to the offensive side. And I think that's why you're seeing Adams flourish. Um, I don't know if we at times we over may over rely on him, but overall, I don't think that's the case. So, Jason, you talked about uh, Kaku and his
1: uh, his role on this team. He cost over six million dollars uh, this offseason, and it seemed like you were saying it, he's not as impactful as other signings that the Red Bulls have had over the over the years. Do you think that this? his signing is uh, in relation to the arms race that Atlanta United has started, and do you think that they would have been better off signing somebody else?
3: Um, I don't think it's in relation to Atlanta, at least not directly. Uh, You know, there might be some...
1: I mean, but, like, they're signing young players that they uh, obviously want to sell on at some point.
3: Well, so, I mean, the thing is that that trend kind of started before Atlanta start in the league. So it's not necessarily tied to Atlanta. Uh the transfer policy stuff, depending on who you believe and who you don't, um, it's tied to the Red Bulls sort of becoming more ingrained in the global or let me phrase this, the the global Red Bull soccer organization starting to street or bring all of their teams into a specific way of thinking. Um RB Leipzig who plays in the Bundesliga has a like Their sporting manager, Ralph Ragnick has like a very strict transfer policy where uh, he won't sign anybody over like this age of 26 or something like that. And uh, there was actually a story that came out the year uh, Leicester city won the premier league, how Jamie Vardy was being pitched to Ralph Ragnick and he goes, no, he's too old. Uh, I so I feel like it's going into that flavor of things is, um, Ali Curtis and now um, I can I don't know why I can't remember his name, but our current sporting director, basically following that same idea of sign younger players. If we sell them on great, but let's sign younger players and develop from the ground up type thing. Um, and I really and I wish I could remember how much Sasa question cost. I don't think it was that much, but I feel like question might have been around like four million dollars. And I and I. I feel like that if you try, the idea is to compare Kaku to Question because that's really who's coming in to replace. And as much as Kaku has been hurt this at the beginning of the year, uh, I think you can make an argument that Kaku has replaced Question, even though his assist total. And and here's the weird thing about Kaku like, I think he's at 14 assists right now. Uh, Maybe, maybe leading the league. I don't remember who's in at the head of that, but he's basically quietly produced close to a question has done who has averaged the last few years. So for $6 million to bring a guy in like that and yeah, he may not be a big name, but I mean, he's getting work done. So I, at this point, I don't think $6 million, especially if we're able to keep him for say another three years, it's it a bad price to pay in the end.
1: And then my other question is a little more meta. <laughs> the The team is in, is deeply ingrained in the global Red Bulls uh, mindset. Do you think that's good for the New York version of the Red Bulls franchise? Do you think that is overall a good thing, or do you think they would be they would have been better off? being allowed to do their own thing and maybe not be a Red Bull's franchise quite as much.
3: So are we, are we still talking under the Red Bull umbrella at least, or are we talking like if they were completely out of the Red Bull shadow, just however, just so you, want, how, the question.
1: however you want, however you want to address it. Either, okay. either is fine with me.
3: So if we're talking about under the Red Bull umbrella, I think you need to point to uh, the years preceding, Jesse Marsh because I think that was pretty much what happened was the Red Bulls were a team that just happened to be owned by the global soccer brand, but it wasn't a any sort of priority. Um, They put people in place because they just, they needed somebody to put in place almost. Um, not that, you know, um, like Hans Baca was a bad coach, but I mean, he didn't show up for an Open Cup match. Like, let's be honest here. <laughs> I mean, um, we
0: still call him drunk uncle down here.
1: Yeah. We, we we want him back for y'all.
0: Yes. We would be very happy if Hans
3: Baca came back to the Red Bulls. Yeah. But, like, Mike Pecky, right, the reason he was the coach for two years was because up until, I think, a month and a half before the season started in 2013, they couldn't find a coach. Nobody wanted to coach the team. So they're like, ah, Pecky, you're here. You're, you have the job. It wasn't until... Ali Curtis was brought on board. That it seemed like the Red Bulls were starting, that that the global Red Bull organization was starting to bring the New York team in and understand that they had value to the global organization. Um Now, they they knew to a degree before that because they had loaned us players and stuff in the past in a minute. But now we were seeing a under Curtis Marsh a more integrated uh system because when. Uh, Sean Davis started to make waves. He was brought over during uh, the winter break in the Bundesliga to, to train with RB Leipzig. Um, so, but to get back to your question, if they'd be better kind of outside of the, the global pr- thought process, uh, I think the results point to at this at right now, probably not because we have had the best since Jesse Marsh and Ali Curtis took over in 2015. The Red Bulls have had the best uh four or five year stretch, I think, in, in club history. I mean, Jesse Marsh was the winningest coach in, in team history before he left. Chris Armistice took over and has, you know, a a, a five, two, and one record or a five, one and two record. Um as as much as the fan base wanted like Pecky to stay, he, Pecky wouldn't have fit in with this mindset because he was forced into a win now mentality. He didn't have the the, at least at the time the mindset of a build and have patience because that's not what he had spent two years under. Uh, overall we are probably better off for starting to follow a global model. Uh, if we were to stop following it I think at least for a year or two we'd be okay but at some point without that integration or at least somebody at the helm that's willing to push things in a certain direction, I don't think we would be doing as well as we are. So let's talk about Jesse Marsh for a second.
0: What was the reaction from the Red Bulls fan base when he decided to take a paid internship in Germany?
3: Um, And and (laughs) when when we found out he was leaving, we didn't know it was a paid internship. We just knew he was leaving. So at the time everybody's like, what's happy for him? Because we honestly thought like, there's no way he's leaving a head coaching job. With the Red, with the New York Red Bulls when he's when the Red Bulls are having a, a great season to go be an assistant in Germany, right? That like that logically did not think that would ever be a possibility. And then I think it was after the NYC match happened that we found out that he was the assistant. So it's in the span of a week, it went from being happy for Jesse and let's get on with this to being upset at Chris Armis and then being upset at Jesse for leaving when he did, because it's like, really? You left us for that? It's like it's one thing, it's one thing to leave for a better paying job, it's but it's another thing to leave for a better paying job where you have less responsibility and you may not have a follow on after that season. Because the for those of you that haven't followed RB Leipzig. They announced their coach for next season already, but he has one more year under contract somewhere else. So Jesse Marsh would have been a placekeeper manager for a year, but at least he would have been a manager. Now he's just an assistant coach. So the fan base was okay with him leaving, but once they found out what he was actually doing, it became a really, you're giving up a great opportunity for that? This makes no sense to us.
0: Yeah, there's a reason I you know, threw out the the internet's favorite pejorative term for a job internship.
3: Um, And honestly, and honestly, if it wasn't for the fact that Leipzig has a coast lined up for next year, I would not have agreed with that term, but it's specifically because the situation he's in, I believe that it actually can qualify as an internship. (laughs) So is it, I actually don't
0: know the answer to this is Chris the the permanent appointment. For the job or is he uh is he coaching on an interim basis
3: he is not he was not given interim tag so for the time being he is the permanent coach I think that I think the plan is after the season's over to reevaluate and decide after that but they did not label him interim I don't think they wanted to put that on him especially you know right before because Jesse left like three days three or four days before the NYC match so I don't think they wanted to have that kind of stigma of the interim tag on them. Go, one going into NYC or just in general with the team, right? Because who's going to fight for the interim coach kind of thing? As, mu- as much as he was there before, who's fighting for the interim coach? Right. It is interesting to see
0: the the Red Bulls and and NYCFC both have coaches leave for Europe um, within days of each other, I think. And then the, uh, the different weeks, paths yeah. they took. Yeah. A couple weeks. Okay. Um, And the different paths, the replacements came in Uh, Armas, obviously with the Red Bulls, Tarrant coming from a different part of the, a a more prominent part of the the city football group organization. Um, We don't have to expound on that. I just thought it was an interesting.
3: Well, uh, so, so, so uh, just real quick. So the reason city did that is because that's what, Vier was supposed to be. He was supposed to be getting groomed to become a coach somewhere else in the city football group. I mean, mm-hmm. so that's that's how CFG views New York City. They view it as a proving ground for coaches and talent, which is not a bad thing. Because I mean, I, I mean, let's be honest here. MLS is either a league for players to prove their worth to go on to somewhere bigger, or as much as as much as people do not like saying this, it still is to a degree a retirement league. I mean, if Wayne Rooney and no offense to DC and Rooney, but if he really had it, still, you can't tell me that he wouldn't be playing in the Big Four League right now. I, don't
1: uh, I just, that. I, I mean, no, no, I, I don't, I, I don't agree. With
3: I that. think I the think, issue is that I'm not, no, no, I'm not saying he doesn't have something. I'm saying like it, like I'm, like I'm, he is still good. I'm not saying he's not bad. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm saying he's not considered top level anymore. Um, I would say that
2: if other English clubs were willing to pay him what DC was willing to pay, then he probably would have stayed in England. Yeah. I mean, there's um, truth to that. I'll, I'll, um, I'll give you that. Yeah. I mean, and some of it is that MLS is in a position where a player like Rooney is worth spending X millions of dollars. Whereas if you're Huddersfield, um, you're not going to spend that. Um, and I think, I mean, there are when a player like Rooney or Zlatan or whoever comes over and immediately has a lot of success Um, it's cool for the teams that get them. I can speak from experience, but it's also, you know, it does add a little bit to the retirement league thing, but I mean, MLS is pretty young overall, especially, you know, with a team like the Red Bulls who are basically like, if you're, if you're not BWP or Luis Robles, uh, and you're over 30, you can get out. Um, well, so Luis
3: Robles is a, it's a weird enigma Mm because, He just, he, for some reason, he seems to get better as he gets older. I mean, granted, that's most goalkeepers. Goalkeepers generally peak after 30 anyway, but. Right. He seems to be like even the exception to that rule. Like he's getting past that point where he would be peaking and he's still going. And listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to say MLS is a retirement league. That's because I'm a fan of MLS. I don't want it to be that way. It's there's still that little bit of stigma to it. I mean, come on, like my team, not even 10 years ago had, or actually, yeah, not even 10 years ago, had Thierry Henry, Rafa Marquez, and Tim Cahill all on the lineup at the same time. I mean, I know Cahill went on to play more after this and so did Rafa, but, I mean, all of them had played elsewhere and better. And granted, you know, they came to the Red Bulls because we paid a lot of money for them. But if they had gotten... I, I feel like if at the time if they got the same amount of money in Europe at a bigger team they would probably have taken that over the Red Bulls. Probably for the most part, maybe maybe Henri's
2: love of New York City might have influenced him a little bit, but like Marquez absolutely would have just said, "Okay, I'll play in, you know, I'll play for Torino in Serie A if they'll just match this contract offer." Yeah, Rafa hated playing with the Red Bulls, so he wouldn't <laughs> play it anywhere. It was he, it he was wasn't under US sanctions smirm. at the time,
0: so he could actually play. Uh <laughs> I, I, I won't I, I, I think there's a there's some daylight between being a league where that's a step down from the big four that that does have some yeah. unique economics to it that make big name players that are slightly on the the downslope that makes them more valuable here. I think there's daylight between that kind of league and an outright retirement league where players go when they just have nothing left. Uh Rooney obviously has something left in the tank. It might not be enough to be a a weekend week out difference maker in one of the top two or three leagues in the world, but he he can still do stuff with many many teams around the world oh no and no i I'm, I'm yeah,
3: i agree cuz i mean that that play he had against orlando city was impressive i'm not going to take anything away from him i'm not i'm trying not to by the way just, <laughs> I yeah know. i, I okay. just yeah i think
0: the the league is it's always going to be many things uh or at least for the foreseeable future it's going to be a development league a selling league but also a league that that capitalizes on established big name players who are no longer at their highest height, but still obviously have something to give. David Villa isn't retiring. Ashley Cole, despite talking about being on a beach, isn't retiring. Um, Because because they draw,
3: they draw people to the stadium. That's, and that's really exactly. And they improve the soccer on the field as well, which by the way, I don't know if you heard, but Villa is not resigning this year. Apparently, huh?
0: That explains the the video. It's
3: not going to resign them.
0: Well, that'll be interesting. We'll, Well, yeah, have to talk about that whenever we uh, get an NYCFC guest, which will be in the near future. Um, for the immediate future, though, Jason, you know we like to end our, our interviews by asking how you would game plan against your own team. So how would you prepare for, for the Red Bulls?
3: So traditionally, I always say long balls over the top because we can't deal with the counter, but they they've gotten a little bit better at that. So really at this point, it's not making errors, especially in the middle of the field. Um, or, or close to your end, for that matter. Uh, if the Chicago match is kind of a big example. Uh, the goal that was scored in that game, Dax McCarty had a bad pass that Tyler Adams pounced on and and immediately turned into a goal-scoring opportunity for Wright Phillips. Uh, I don't remember exactly how it happened against DC, but the Wright Phillips goal was a quick counter off a turnover. And he was basically almost one-on-one with the keeper at that point. So, um, really, the key to the Red Bulls is not to is to hold the ball well, not give up possession easily, and when you can make your moments count. Because if you don't, eventually, because everybody goes through it at some point, you are going to make a mistake on the field, and all you need is the Red Bulls to be aware of that to be in the right position to pounce on it and you will probably see the ball in the back of the net
0: all right hopefully sunday uh, it's the red bulls making more mistakes and dc united punishing them than the other way around at least from our perspective Long evil place. jason obviously has a different one uh evil jason thank you as always for coming on the show why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on the the bad portions of the internet
3: well, my bad portions have been restricted because I no longer write for SB Nation. Uh, I'm now just my podcast, The Red Bull Rant, uh, which we have on Patreon. So, if for whatever reason you feel like sponsoring somebody a, a podcast for another team, feel free. We actually, funny thing, we actually have a NYC fan that supports us. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's
0: a uh, it's you know a no
3: no light without dark kind of thing. You have to have both. Yeah. Uh, but Patreon.com/slash Red Bull Rant, and then uh for my For me uh, on Twitter, it's at Dr. Stooge and at Red Bull Rant for my show on Twitter.
0: Find us at blackandredunited.com and our Patreon at slash filibuster. We are on uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm told rating and reviews are helpful. Find us on Twitter at Black and Red U for the website, at filibuster DCU for the podcast. Send your complaints, compliments, sponsorship inquiries to filibuster podcast at gmail.com. Mostly please tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to get the word out for both Jason's and Ben I'm Adam. And we'll talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye. Good Jason.
2: I think the best way to yell at uh, our sponsors or yell, our sponsor's name would be to just go out in a car and just drive around and yell. I think that's the best way to do it. If you get
3: sponsors, you got to do it. Um, oh, what is it, Blues Brothers style? Get the big me- megaphone, That's, put on top of your car. Right, it, w- see, this is what I'm talking about. We can add that to our
2: Patreon <laughs> <laughs> at a at a significantly higher level um, because I don't have the money to buy or and and I'm not really in the Blues Brothers. They stole that thing. Uh, <laughs> what a- do you even find Right, Uh, I would need to find one first of all, which I don't know how I'd do that, but then I would have to steal it. Uh, And, uh, you know, I don't want to go to jail.